Welcome to Stories of Iceland. For a while it seemed that I could start this episode by claiming that the second wave of COVID-19 in Iceland had been short-lived. But there seems to have been another uptick. I had a close call after I visited the local bank and a few days later it was shut down because a member of the staff had been infected. I have started using masks. Unfortunately, the reusable ones I ordered from the US have not arrived. Evidently, this is because of a problem with the US post office. So I make do with the disposable ones. Though I seem to have picked a rather difficult time to go into business for myself, I am quite relieved that I am not working around other people every day. I am prone to catch colds, and I guess that if I were working for someone else, I would spend a lot of time having a guilty conscience, either because I was at home without being really sick, or because I was at work, coughing a little, feeling like I was endangering everyone around me. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. My latest supporters are David Donald, Sebastian Benjamins, and Michael Halpern. I'd like to thank all my supporters, especially Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. Today's episode includes details not suitable for children. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 36, The Ghost of the Scorned Woman. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. As I was recently driving to Akureyri with my family, I discussed various topics with my wife, places and landscapes and their stories. We tried to find out why a farm in Iceland is named for a bird I only know through Egyptian mythology. No one knows. We asked ourselves what a certain lake located in a mountain pass was called. We discovered it was called Lake Pass Lake. That is quite a feat of unimaginative place names, even by Icelandic standards. As we passed through Skafjörður, we saw the church at Miklibær. My wife started talking about the ghost story that is set there. We then spoke of the famous story of the priest who accidentally burned down the old church. 
before being exiled in Mohmifurdur, near the farms he grew up on. But I started to think about the ghost story and the way it mirrors some of the themes and events of the last episode, the one called Was Murdered. The themes I am talking about is the very real anxiety older generations had about who were deemed worthy to be buried inside the sacred ground of the churchyards. I will begin with the story itself, and then I will go in, into more analysis. It is set in Skalfjörður. On the back of the ship you can see the really deep fjord. That is Eyjafjörður. A little nearer to the head is the next fjord. That is Skagafjörður. The name of the place itself, Miklibair, is easily translated as Great Farm. The story of Solvig of Miklibair. There was a certain young maiden named Solvig who worked for the minister Ottur Kislason at Miklibair. At the time Ottur was either between wives or had just lost his wife. Solvik took a liking to the priest and wanted him more than anything. He did not share her feelings. Because of this, the maiden lost her mind and on many occasions tried to end her own life. Gudlug, the sister of the priest, was set to watch her at night, but in the daytime everyone helped with this task. One night in the twilight hour, Solveig managed to escape her watchers and ran to the remains of an old turf house in the field. A dedicated worker named Thorstein saw her and chased after, but she made quick work of cutting her own throat. When Thorstein reached her and saw the blood gushing from her neck, he is supposed to have said, The devil got her there. Solveig did not acknowledge those words, but managed to convey a message to the priest that she wished to be buried in the churchyard. Afterwards, she bled to death. Thorstein returned back with the news and gave the priest her plea to be buried in sanctified ground. The priest tried to get a dispensation from the church authorities, but was denied because he had taken her own life. During this, Solveig's body was kept in the farm, but the night after the priest had been denied his request, he dreamed that Solveig came to him with a furious expression and said, Since you will not allow me to be buried in hallow ground, you shall not get to rest there either. Then she stormed off. Later, Solveig was buried outside the churchyard and without a religious service. Soon afterwards, she started to haunt the priest when he was traveling by his lonesome. Whether he was visiting the nearby church annex, this became well known to everyone locally, so each man looked on it as his duty to accompany the priest, especially if he was traveling late at night or alone. Once Otter went to the annex and did not return, though the day went on. The locals were not frightened for him since they knew he would be escorted if he returned late. So it was this time as before. He had company on his way, but when he came to the fields of Miklibair, he said he would manage the short ride to his farm alone. His escort bid him goodbye. Late that evening, before everyone went to bed, the inhabitants of Miklibair heard someone beating the front door. 
They thought it sounded strange, so they did not answer. A while later, they heard the noise from the upper floor. A man rushed upstairs, but when he had almost reached the top, he felt as someone was pulling his legs, and he was dragged down again. After this, they noticed that the priest's horse stood before the house, and his whip and mittens were tucked away in the saddle. Everyone became uneasy, since it was obvious the priest had returned, but was nowhere to be seen. They sent people to the farms, where he might have gotten an escort from, and that is how they learned the news of how Odder had refused the company for the last stretch home. A large search was organized in the next few days, but it was all for naught. When the search was discontinued, most people agreed that Solveig had kept her word and seen to it that Odder would not be buried in a churchyard and had likely dragged him down into her own grave. When the search had been called off, Thorstein, the priest's farmhand, decided not to quit until he was sure what had become of his master. He slept in a bed near the woman who watched Solveig at night. She was considered wise and had second sight. So one night Thorstein gathered clothes and items that belonged to the priest and laid it under his head for the night, hoping that he might dream of something that could explain the disappearance of Otter. He then asked Guðlaug to lay awake in her own bed during the night and not wake him up even if he slept uneasily, but rather note everything that happened. He lighted a candle and both of them laid down. Guðlaug became aware that Thorstein did not manage to sleep for most of the night, but finally sleep conquered him. A little later she saw Solveig coming into the room holding someone's hand. She walked across the floor and before Thorstein's bed. Then she bowed over him and made like she was dragging something across his throat. At that moment Thorstein began to move violently around. Guðlaug could not let this go on any longer, and got up, stared down Solveig, and woke up Thorstein. She then noticed the red streak across Thorstein's throat, where Solveig had been gesturing. She asked Thorstein what he had dreamed. He said that it had seemed that Solveig had come to him, and said that this would not do, and he would never find out what had happened to the minister. Then she had attacked him and tried to cut his throat with a large machete. He still felt the pain when he awoke. After this, Thorstein decided to halt his mission to find out where the priest had ended up. Since then, little has been seen of Solveig. The exception is that Gisli, the son of Otter, said that Solveig had attacked him the first night he spent with his wife. He who was a large and strong man like his father before him, had used all his strength to fight her off. No other stories have been told of Solveig. That is the story as it was recorded in the great folklore collection of Jón Ornason and published in the 1860s. But it is not the whole story. There are other sources which are in many ways much more like history but even those are close to folklore. Unlike the story of the Deacon of Dark River, this one is rooted in real-life events, and the central characters Otter and Solveig 
as well as Guðlöf and the son Gísli, were real people. Thorstedt seems to be based on a real worker at the farm, but his name has been changed. Though the story is well known, it does lack elements such as the goosebump-worthy rhymes of the Deacon of Dark River. One of Iceland's best-known poets did in fact write a poem about the story. If it would have lived in oral tradition for a few centuries, the poem might have been incorporated into the tale. But as we will see, the real events occurred less than a century before it was published. Otter Gislason was born in 1740. His father, Gisli Magnusson, became the Bishop of Holar, the northern diocese of Iceland, in 1755. Otter was well educated by the standards of the time, having studied at the University of Copenhagen. Despite this, it is said that he was no intellectual mountain. In 1768 he became the parish priest at Miklibyr in Skagafjörður, not far from his father's seat at Holar. Sometime afterwards, likely around 1770, he hired a housekeeper named Solveig. Solveig was not from a prestigious family like Otter. We simply do not know much about her. Some say her name was Solveig Thorleifsdóttir, but that is very much up for debate. Some sources claim, or at least imply, that Solveig and Otter were lovers. Otter was unmarried and might even have wanted to marry Solveig. According to those sources, it was his father, the bishop, who put a stop to that plan in 1777. So instead there was an enraged marriage with the woman of suitable social status. Here the folktale and the history mostly agree. Solveig was quite upset that Otter married another woman. She attempted suicide on numerous occasions, and Guðlaug was in fact tasked with watching over her. There are conflicting accounts about the suicide itself, but they mostly agree that Solveig cut her own throat with a knife in April of 1778. There is also another version of these words spoken by a witness. This one is said to have uttered, she finally managed it. Damn her. These historical accounts do not mention any words by Solveig, which makes sense given the nature of her injuries. But these sources claim that Solveig visited Otter in a dream asking to be buried in hallowed ground. This dream does not have to be considered supernatural in nature since our minds can shape our own anxieties into dreams. So Otter wrote to his father, the bishop, to ask for a dispensation for Solveig to be buried, but got a refusal. He then went to the county sheriff to plead his case, but had no luck there either. He was instead allowed to bury her near the church itself. Solveig is then said to have haunted his dreams again, threatening to see to it that he would not be allowed to be buried in the churchyard either just like in the folktale. My sense of doubt tingles when I read this, since it does seem awfully convenient. But otherwise, the account of the haunting itself is rather less severe than the folktale. It is said that Solveig haunted the worker who witnessed her death, so he had to flee from the farm. The sources also state that Otter did seem to behave rather oddly after the death of Solveig, but also he seemed to be drinking more than before. So, in that case, it is a bit of a chicken and the egg 
Did he drink because he felt he was haunted by a ghost? Or did the events themselves cause him to retreat into the bottle? His father, the bishop, died in 1779, which also could have had its effect on him. As a side note, if I were writing this as a ghost story, I would definitely attribute the bishop's death to Solveig getting revenge on those who wronged her. In 1784, Otter tried to apply to the parish of Leivost in Eyjafjörður, but the current bishop had made a note of his drinking and lack of professionalism, so he was stuck at Miklibair. In October of 1786, Otter was holding a mass at an annexed church. On his way home, he stopped at a neighboring farm about a kilometer from Miklibair. This was the home of the county sheriff. Otter stayed there till late, drinking quite a bit. There is some indication that the priest argued with the sheriff. When he left for home, a man was supposed to accompany him, not because of any haunting, but most likely because he seemed drunk and there was snow and ice on the way. Otter left without the escort and was never seen again. His horse was found at Miklibair the next morning. A search party was organized. A deep stream near the priest's path was the main focus of attention, but nothing was found of the priest's remain. In lieu of actual evidence, there were rumors about the priest's fate. His wife, or widow, was said to have been convinced that Solveig had dragged him into her own grave and wanted it dug up. The authorities did not allow such action. Then were those who whispered that Otter had disagreed violently with the county sheriff who had killed him and then covered up the incident. Since the priest had been mentally fragile for years, some people assumed that he had taken his own life. The simplest explanation is, of course, that a drunken man riding in snow and ice and darkness had met with an accident. There need not be malice or supernatural forces at work. The official story is that the body of Otter was never found, but two independent sources do actually say that it was indeed found a year later in the stream that had been the focal point of the original search. But if the body was found, why was it not recorded by the authorities? The likely scenario is that the evidence seemed to indicate suicide. The taboo nature of the act would have been ample reason to cover it up and bury Otter in secret so that he could rest within the churchyard. As the years went by, the mystery intrigued generations. Then in the early 20th century, spiritualism became popular in Iceland. The spiritualists communed with every hero and villain of Icelandic history and folklore, including Solveig. In 1937, Solveig visited people in their dreams and claimed that her bones had been discovered by workers in 1914. That grave had not been dug according to tradition. The body had been laid from north to south and not east to west. Believers took this as a mission and the remains were unearthed again and buried in a neighboring churchyard. The funeral service was well attended by both sincere spiritualists and the curious as well. This was an event. Not everyone was convinced. 
First of all, the bones seem to be of a far younger woman than Solveig. Also, those who knew the area pointed out that the real location of Solveig's grave was not anywhere near where these bones had been found. In fact, the churchyard had been expanded in 1910, so that her grave was now in hallowed ground. Though you can visit Miklebyt today, the old church is unfortunately gone. As I mentioned at the start in 1972, the then-current priest was trying to heat it up before his confirmation class was to arrive. He was a bit too successful in his efforts, and the church burned down, earning himself a rather cruel nickname in the process. The story of Solveig is not only interesting as a ghost story. It reveals how the dark centuries of strict Lutheranism gave way to a more forgiving age of spiritualism and liberal theology. Those elements are still noticeable in the workings of the Icelandic National Church. Priests still often fall into either a liberal or conservative faction, while many of their parishioners can be best described as spiritualist. That is it for today. Thanks to Vida von Hellstare, Emily Cooper, Julie Fisher, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, Crystal Bath, Austin Newell, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. I am Oli Gnestisolioson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 36, The Ghost of the Squad. Mm-hmm.